I went into a bodega and I asked the guy, I was like, do you have Gushers? Because I didn't see them. He was like, no, we got the Haribo. Like, you went you into know, a what? Gummies and stuff. A bodega. Bodega. It's like a convenience store just it's without not gas. Dagoba. There's no small green man with pointy ears. Think of it like it's a Wawa, but without the gas station. Hello, and welcome to the Incident Handler's Guide to the Galaxy. So this is going to be a podcast that aims to shed light on the mysterious and often misunderstood world of cybersecurity. It's here to educate listeners on prevention strategies based on real-world events and encounters, as well as serve as a resource for those just hoping to learn something new about cybersecurity and the types of crap that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. So, yes, uh, my name's Itai Rembaum. I'm a marketing program specialist on Checkpoint's Horizon team, and I'm also going to be one of the hosts of this podcast, so get used to hearing my irritating voice from time to time. And then I've got a couple of people on the line here with me, starting with Tim. Why don't you introduce yourself? Thanks. I'm Tim Otis. I'm the head of global detection and response at Checkpoint, um, managing all the incident response analysts and SOC analysts and coordination people. Joining us today, we have Dennis. Dennis, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, my name is Dennis today. I'm an IR analyst here at Checkpoint. Really excited to be here. Thanks for having me on, guys. And probably not a mermaid. Tom, why don't you introduce yourself? I am also probably not a mermaid. My name is Tom Williams. I am also on the incident response team, and I'm excited to be here. They both have fantastic beards. I will just, uh, you guys can't see because you're listening from the comforts of your home, but I get to look at these people face to face, and they have some fantastic beards. If they could only see these glorious beards. Maybe one day. Okay, so. Um... Yeah, so basically just to kind of structure this podcast a little bit, um, we're going to kind of have a a different focal point for every episode. Sometimes it's going to do with the most common or most impressive examples of cybercrime or cybersecurity, warfare, whatever. Uh, But then other episodes maybe a little bit more honed in, a little bit more specific. Um, So, for example, today there's going to be slightly a more specific topic. Uh, But then you can also, if you have any requests as far as topics, or there's anything that you'd like to learn a little bit more about, you can get in touch with us through LinkedIn. Uh, You can go through the Horizon uh, Incident Response and MDR uh, LinkedIn account. Uh, There's also Checkpoint Research is a fantastic resource to check out. So this time we are going to be talking about something that has become uh, extremely relevant over the past decade, to say the least. I'm pretty sure that nobody listening, unless you know you just are sort of out of the know, um, is unfamiliar with the term ransomware. Um, so I, I mean, I think for those of for our listeners who really don't know what that is, even though that's maybe a little bit surprising, um, I think maybe we define what ransomware is. Tom, would you maybe care to sort of? expand on what ransomware is, why it's relevant, and sort of the trajectory that it's been on in the last few months? Yeah, so generally ransomware kind of exploded recently due to cryptocurrencies and how available those are, and some of the kind of anonymity that comes with cryptocurrencies. They allow it so that, you know, if, let's say, a malicious group decides that they want to find an inexpensive, at least for them, way to get some money, they will whether it's directly compromised or work with some sort of initial access team, they will then get into your organization's computers, 
find their way around and install a piece of software known as ransomware, which will then encrypt all of those machines, make it so that they're no longer accessible, and then display a note that will tell you know, the system owner that their machines have been encrypted, and this is an email address to reach out to, and this is how much money we're going to need. Hence the term ransom in ransomware. Yes. Nice. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate that. Um, so, yeah, so the, the topic of today, ransomware does kind of have a very large part to play in it. Dennis, take it away. So before we get into the case, uh, just a little bit about our operation. Um, so as one of the IR analysts, I and the rest of our team, um, we manage a global follow the sun hotline. Uh, if your organization is under a cyber attack, you can call this hotline. Um, and one of the IR analysts will pick up the phone, um, will scope your case and uh, kind of figure out what services that our IR team provides can help your organization in your current situation. Um, in this case, the Rorschach case, the case of the Rorschach ransomware, I happened to be the analyst that day that was monitoring the hotline. Uh, we got a call from an organization. They were under a ransomware attack. Um, we scope the call. What happens when we scope a call? Uh, we ask you a couple questions, like how many devices are in your organization? Um, what kind of, you know, how many servers do you guys have? How many users do you have? Just so we can kind of get an idea of how we want to start our root cause analysis. Uh, the root cause analysis being, so it's really important for um, an organization before they rebuild their network to understand how the attacker got in. That way, when they restore from backups uh, after being held for ransom by ransomware, um, we can kind of make sure that the attackers at least won't get in the same way, right? That we plug that first rabbit hole. So a little bit about Rorschach, the ransomware itself, uh, how it got its name. When we finally found the ransomware, the encrypting binary, we sent it off to the Checkpoint research team just to see if they had any insights, if they could tell us any uh, threat intel about it, um, if uh, just, you know, to see what kind of knowledge they had. Uh, every time a different reverse engineer on the research team took a look at the encrypting binaries, each reverse engineer kind of saw something a little different. Uh, it's kind of like the Rorschach test where like there's a blob of ink on a piece of paper and you know the psychologist says, what do you see? And well, every single time, you know, a different member from the research team, they saw something else. So they just, they dubbed it Rorschach. So you all I'm sure want to hear about how we found the ransomware. Well, yes, Dennis, please, 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 please tell us, Dennis. Let how me, did you find the ransomware? Let me enlighten you. There's really only a couple ways to uh, deploy ransomware across 600 devices very rapidly. One of them being group policy. So a great place to start when you're hunting for ransomware is the domain controllers. So right off the bat, before we ask for anything else, we asked, hey, can you send us a full disk image of the domain controllers? They were they obliged. 
they send us for this image of the domain controllers and uh in the sysvol folder of the domain controllers very easy it was right there the encrypting binaries um the goal remember though of the rca of the root cause analysis is to find out how the attacker got in so what i like to do is i like to kind of find a uh like find uh the breadcrumb trail and follow the breadcrumb trail backwards from the place where the ransomware was deployed um but this piece of ransomware it made it difficult we were able to find it anyways and i'll tell you all about that in a second but a little bit about the ransomware itself this ransomware while it did delete the application system and security logs it didn't delete all of the event logs including the microsoft windows terminal service operational logs this allowed us to kind of figure out hey the attacker actually used remote desktop to remote into this domain controller from a oracle linux box which was really interesting because most of the times a linux box is not domain joined um so that was i thought was pretty interesting um we got a and since we know that the attacker came from this box we didn't do a triage image of the of the linux box a triage image being an image that we take that's not a full disk image but still has a lot of high fidelity forensic artifacts that can tell us if the device has been compromised or not we already know this device has been compromised there was rdp events on the domain controller from this device right before the encryption happened so we went ahead we jumped straight to a full disk image and when we scanned this box uh it had a whole bunch of attacker tools that was attributed to the 8220 gang which again was really interesting because the 8220 gang they're not really known for ransomware um they're just known for getting in deploying coin mi miners and just getting out uh, which kind of makes me and the rest of my team think that Hey, you know, A220 Gang, they might be like initial access brokers that sold this access to some other ransomware operator. So they essentially got in, they deployed their coin miners, and then they thought, okay, this is cool, but how else can we make money? And so they sold this access to somebody else that is known for deploying ransomware. Um, I really, really think that this oracle linux box was the uh was the beachhead was the way that the attackers came in because when we carved unallocated space on this device uh there was a lot of enumeration tools and usually how an attack sequence goes is the attackers they get initial access and then they kind of search the organization's network for places that they can move laterally or that they can exploit laterally to kind of um, elevate privileges R remember linux devices it's not very often that they're domain joined so when they had access to this device they didn't have access they didn't have credentials to go anywhere else 
in this organization's domain. So they had to find those credentials somewhere. Where they found those credentials, they found those credentials on a server 2008 box um, that just, you know, server 2008, super end of life, um, still really vulnerable. So before I start, this, everything I'm about to say is based is theories generated based on evidence that we found throughout the root cause analysis. They had server 2008 in their environment, and there is actually evidence throughout their environment of devices attempting to authenticate across the network through SMB version one. So what I think happened is because there was a specific tool on the beachhead, on the Oracle Linux device, in the bash history that was referenced called fscan. And if you Google fscan, you'll find a GitHub for this tool that scans for critical vulnerabilities, such as the Eternal Blue MS17010 vulnerability that utilizes SMB version one. So what do I think happened? I think the A220 gang sold access Again, this is all theory. This is just, you know, this is at the most that we can provide is speculation. They got access, they sold the access. And then once the new attackers got in, they scanned the network for vulnerable devices, got remote code execution on those vulnerable devices, such as a server 2008 device, and then dumped credentials and in those credentials was uh, a pair of domain administrator credentials in clear text. Once they had the domain administrator credentials, it was very easy. A couple of, uh, yeah, a couple of PowerShell commands. They find the domain controller, log into the domain controller, and the ransomware, like I said earlier, does everything for the attacker. So all they had to do was put the binaries on the domain controller and execute the binaries and the binaries did the work for them. So again, this ransomware did clear the security logs, event ID 4624 events that will tell us, hey, you know, at this time, this person logged in through like a network resource or through remote desktop protocol or through hands-on keyboard. Lucky for us, uh, it did not clear the Microsoft Windows Terminal Service Remote Connection Manager operational log, which does create a event when somebody or someone or something rem uses remote desktop protocol to remote into the device. So those logs were left behind. We did see some remote desktop activity originating from a Oracle Linux device. And in that Oracle Linux device, there was a multitude of attacker tools. And then what specifically did the research team find? Because you know, you mentioned that, you know, ransomware, it's never the same. It's always something interesting, right? But why was Rorschach a different situation. So Rorschach was kind of like a all-in-one, very easy 
for the attacker kind of binary it it, it kind of did everything for the uh f for the attacker in most cases like in some cases the attacker would have to do a lot of things by hand um and this binary did everything for them for example it uh it it first turned off the firewall the device firewall on the domain controller um that way if there were any firewall rules that were preventing it from performing its duties uh it disabled those rules um and then it created a group policy to instruct other domain join devices to copy the ransomware from the domain controller sysvol folder and place it in that devices in the domain join devices uh you see users public folder it then created a scheduled task uh through group policy it created a scheduled task for domain join devices to kill certain processes that might interrupt device encryption uh and then finally it created a scheduled task to immediately execute the ransomware um it also did some other things uh such as that kind of made it difficult as a forensicator to figure out where the attacker came in from uh it didn't make it impossible and i can go into that in a second but um it did perform some anti-forensic techniques such as clearing the system security and application logs and usually the security log um, gives us a lot of information as to how an attacker might be moving laterally or elevating privileges um, and in this case it the ransomware itself cleared those logs it also deleted volume shadow copies so they're on un, you know unless the backups were air gapped uh, there were there was no restoring from volume shadow copies. You mentioned during the description carving unallocated space. Do you want to kind of expand on that a little bit? What that means? Sure. So when you delete something on your device, it's not like really deleted immediately. It 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 persists on your hard drive, and it's until the file system overwrites those bits and bytes on the hard drive itself is the file actually overwritten. So if, if you delete something and you take that device and you take a disk image or you extract the hard drive and you don't use it, you, you can actually recover those files. What we did is because this attacker um, did a really good job of, you know, deleting their evidence, we did have to do some file carving um, and we did have to kind of look in that unallocated space for any other evidence that we could dig up. Um, and so what we were able to do is we were able to carve that through that unallocated space for user bash history and in that bash history is where we found references to files like fscan uh mass scan um some intranet penetration tools so some tools that allowed 
a device that was inside a network to be reached from the internet. Um, and it, it, we did some, we did file carving on the Oracle Linux box. And then we also did file carving on the domain controllers for event logs. Um, unfortunately, we weren't able to find any other event logs in the domain controllers in unallocated space, but we were lucky to find references to these tools in the unallocated space on the Oracle Linux box. Thank you for the description, Dennis. Again, that was a great story. The, I, I, I hope a lot of people listening are enjoying some of the bits and bites and gory details about what happens during an IR investigation. The most important thing out of all of this is how can people defend against these kind of attacks in the future? What are some lessons learned and takeaways from this case that you would recommend for folks out in the wild? One thing that I would recommend is take a look at your backup solutions and make sure that you you know, you have your weekly differentials or your daily differentials. You have your weekly full backups. You have your monthly full backups. Take those monthly full backups and move them offline. Put them on a disk and air gap them from your network. That way, at the most, your organization loses is one month's worth of data. This customer in particular, they weren't fortunate enough to have that scheme going and uh you know one of their locations got encrypted their backups got encrypted and that whole location they lost a lot of data they lot of lost a lot of customer information uh they lost a lot of sales information um and that just really puts a hindrance on the organization as a whole um another piece of advice another lessons learned is is that your end of life systems will be exploited. It's not a matter of if they will, because it's it goes back to like it's not a matter of if someone's gonna get hacked, it's just it's when, right? And you might be hacked right now, and there might not be anywhere for attackers to elevate privileges because you guys are doing a great job. But if you do have end of life devices and you haven't gapped those the end of life devices so you haven't like network or network gapped them they're going to be exploited and they're going to dump credentials and it's going to be easier for the attackers to move around through your network probably shouldn't you know log in with your domain administrator credentials into uh you know end of life system yeah also dennis do you think that like um in this situation, a scan of vulnerabilities from outside would have prevented the initial access broker from gaining access. Like, so, so sort of asset management. Yes, because the device that was initially breached was running a vulnerable application. And I do believe that a vulnerability scan, an external vulnerability scan, so like a, like a Nessus cloud scan, would have caught this vulnerability this vulnerable application unrelated topic i just opened a small thing of gushers and probably 75 percent of the package are the blue ones that's disappointing i love gushers dude gushers are the most underrated snack of all time they are the best movie gummy ever it's it's ugh, so good 
Gushers are the benchmark. 10 out of 10. They put Welch's fruit snacks to shame. Oh, without it, I mean, anything without anything by putting stuff in the middle of it that is expected. That's what I said. I went into a bodega and I asked the guy, I was like, do you have Gushers? Because I didn't see them. He was like, no, we got the Haribo. Like, you went you know, into a what? Dummies and stuff. A bodega. Bodega. It's like a convenience store just it's without not gas. Dagoba. There's no small green man with pointy ears. Think of it like a Wawa, but without the gas station. It's like a Wawa that's owned by, like, just a regular person. Okay. And there's sometimes a cat. The cats are quite famous. I see now. The cats are awesome because they keep the rodents out. Today I learned. Something that we would like to do for this podcast is uh, bringing in pieces of information that are a little bit more... um, current event related or pertinent to what's happening today. So CISA, or the Cyber Security Infrastructure Security Agency, uh, sent out an alert uh, letting everybody know essentially that there was an SQL injection vulnerability in MoveIT, MoveIT, uh, Transfer Secure Management. Why don't we sort of talk about that a little bit? I know there's a lot of articles that are circulating online. Uh, Tom, do you want to maybe start us off? Yeah, so basically it's come out that there was a vulnerability in the application that you mentioned and the threat actor who we have seen in various other managed file transfer compromises was able to execute a SQL injection which they were then able to use on customer systems of this move it transfer tool to then do a uh, remote code execution and from there they were able to do basically anything they wanted to they were able to exfiltrate data and they could have but there is currently no evidence of them uh, ransom putting ransomware on customer devices it's also some scary stuff ransomware again it all comes back in full circle Extortion is a favorite tactic of threat actors, even even before wares that encrypted stuff and ransomware, quote unquote, um, uh, threat actors that would be would compromise a network and steal data would some would often extort funds and threaten to release the data if they weren't paid the extortion fee. So even before ransomware, extortion was a big deal. There's even things today like DDoS extortion where threat actors threaten to do large-scale DDoS and if the quote-unquote victim doesn't pay that, you know, they're going to launch a giant DDoS attack. So, yeah, extortion is a big old, big old problem in cybersecurity. And then, as we kind of said earlier, the invention of cryptocurrency and the anonymous nature therein. Uh, coupled with that tactic, made ransomware very, very, uh, yeah, popular and 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 able to yeah. be leveraged. Very easy to do and very lucrative. Yeah. So, Tom, it was a SQL injection vulnerability. Uh, what CVE was that? So this one is currently being tracked as CVE dash twenty twenty three dash three four three six two. Yeah. And we do see evidence as well that this team started their initial compromise. They they love to attack during U.S. public holidays. So this, the initial 
zero day exploitation happened over the Memorial Day weekend. Uh, that was a full five days before the vendor acknowledged the compromise and started releasing patches. It's sad, you know, in the 10 years we've been doing IR on this team, over holidays, like 4th of July, Memorial Day, things like that, we often see a lot of malicious cyber activity uh, by threat actors. And I, I do believe that they're banking on the fact that United States employees are out of the office and on vacation, so maybe their um, movement won't be noticed, their tactics won't be noticed. But uh, it, it does seem to be a theme for us over the last 10 years, unfortunately. Well, uh, that's pretty much all the time that we have today. Uh, I really just want to thank Dennis and Tom for joining us. I uh, really appreciate all of the work that you guys are doing, and I'm sure that the people whose lives you're making a lot easier are also really appreciating your existence. Uh, Tim, always a pleasure chilling with you. Uh, I want to thank everybody Likewise. for coming down and <laughs> appreciate it. Um, and yeah, just uh, make sure that everybody stays in the know. There's a number of different resources out there, checkpoint related, not checkpoint related. Uh, checkpoint research is a great place to get information. That's kind of how we figured out all the Rorschach related stuff, along with our checkpoint incident responders over here. Um, so yeah, you know, just uh, make sure that you're keeping up to date with everything cybersecurity related, and hope to see you next time. Ciao, ciao. <laughs>